welcome to Batman the Animated Series Weekly Breakdown, the I Am The Night podcast from the DC Comics News Podcast Network. With me, as always, is Adam. Good evening, sir. Good evening to you. It's a pleasure to be back talking more about our favourite clown. Oh, yes. Um, The episode, of course, Be A Clown, episode nine, featuring the return of the Joker in yet another classic... um, version of himself the uh the killer clown quite literally uh brilliant episode written by ted peterson and steve hayes and directed by frank power who recently directed the um underdwellers episode with the uh kidnapped children and the horrible um overlord from deep beneath gotham city so um first impressions of be a clown well having Loved Joaquin Phoenix's performance. I know better now than to trust a Parsi clown. Oh, yes. And it was wonderful the voice direction from Mark Hamill to show that he was just a completely different version of the same menacing figure. He was almost unrecognisable when he was there in the get-up, and it was a pleasant surprise when we figured out, oh, that might be him just in disguise trying to set some sort of trap there for the mayor, and it was a really satisfying thing to see in the the meat of the episode. Yeah, because the voice he puts on for... Jekko, um is almost more of a cross between Daffy Duck and uh, any other like cartoon character you could ever imagine with a lisp and you think is that a Jekko the Clown? Is that a Joker in disguise? Obviously we knew it must be but he did a really good job of completely differentiating his Joker voice to that of Jekko. Which is a really nice thing to see and just give another layer to the story that we were able to follow along. It's a strong um, another outing for this character that we all love and revile <laughs> at the same time absolutely and lots of different things to talk about um for one again more of uh more than rather just a story about batman facing off against the joker we get mayor hill who is is described and written just like any other politician in the world he might mean well but He's so misguided, so blinkered to his views. Um, he starts off ranting and raving that Batman and Joker are cut from the same cloth, which is what leads Joker to his to his door, and more importantly, to his son. He has that attitude of a self-serving politician that he's more willing to further his own image by using his son's birthday party as a uh, publicistic and networking event rather than a celebration for his young boy. He denies any interest in his habits for magic or practical illusions and that leads him to be vulnerable so much so that he barely notices when his son's missing. Bruce Wayne has to point it out to him. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole thing where, like you said, this, this politician... There's no doubt he loves his son, but it takes almost losing him to realise that. And like I said, he's uh, rubbing shoulders with the senator and greets Bruce. And the party is more his party than his son's. But when young Jordan meets Jekko and the Joker in disguise is performing magic tricks and being entertaining and being a large life character and actually showing him more attention than interest than his own dad, it's almost no wonder at all that he follows on and and uh, runs away at the back of Jekko's van when when Joker leaves. It's a scary thing to kind of consider that, sure enough, there are some parents that don't give their children enough of the time of day that 
the uh, domestic terrorist that Gotham knows mm-hmm. is the person that the child wants to run away with. Of course, the episode goes on to show that he's not quite the nice and cheerful clown that he oh, thinks. No. As a wonderful, like seamless transition of Mark Hamill's voice acting yeah. again, going into the Jacko voice into the Joker voice. Yeah. But we still see that, sure, maybe there's enough things to worry about for a parent who's more interested in their own goals to realise what's more important than is right in front of them. Yeah. And another really clever thing I found with the, with the episode was we see the, like you said, brilliant transition of Mark Hamill's character from Joker to Jekko and back again. But we also see um, Bruce Wayne in top form being a bit of a clown himself, struggling with Jordan's gift as he arrives at the party, and then the fantastically well choreographed tripping over himself to get to the cake with the explosive candle to drop it in the pool. And it's brilliantly done because we as the audience know that it's Batman who's seen a stick of dynamite, but he plays the bumbling, oafish Bruce who um, literally is floundering all over himself to knock the cake over. It's a wonderful thing that we, the viewer, are able to sort of play along with because right at the end when he knocks the cake into the pool into the swimming pool all of the rest of the crowd are a little disappointed and they see the chorus of ah but there's a single smug grin on bruce wayne's face as he sees another day well saved and we get to see him sort of celebrate that little victory there and it's a nice thing to see that we don't get a lot from batman especially when the cake does actually go boom and people realize oh clumsy old bruce might have just saved our necks but then again, it's very easy to just uh, dismiss Bruce for doing that. Someone's so clumsy. <clears throat> Absolutely. Just in the pool, kicking the pool like that. It's the image he's, he's portrayed. And it's another thing that we've been talking about since the series started, the image of Batman. Because when he first arrives on the scene, it's right at the beginning of the episode when he saves uh, the mayor from... Uh, when his speech is interrupted by a gang of hoodlums with machine guns being chased by the Gotham police and they wreck the whole uh, press conference and the way Batman swings in on a girder knocking the gangsters into a trash receptacle and then he just runs off and Summer Gleason and the reporters are chasing after him like Batman, Batman and it's still like he goes, he does the job and he gets away and that's another brilliant aspect of Batman because like you said and it's become more and more apparent this is a Batman that's still a bit of an unknown in his own city. There's no clear way to show just how long this Batman's been operating. Mm. And it's little things like this that really aid to that. Because if it were in the dead of night, fewer people around, if he'd have come in, swooped in, uh, incapacitated the bad guys and then got away, there's a, probably no one would really have seen him do that. Mm-hmm. Which leads to the actual whole myth around him, which is I think is exactly what Batman would want in his early days. He would want some sort of force out there bringing down bad guys, not necessarily someone in a costume doing these kinds of heroics, which is so interesting considering these early episodes. How long has he been operating? And how long has he been doing it in quite this way? Absolutely. And the clear contrast between him and his nemesis, because... Joker wants nothing more than to be in the public eye, to be noticed. And when uh, the mayor says, you know, um, I'm going to make Gotham City as secure as my own mansion, what Joker does is proves that the mayor's mansion isn't secure at all. And he goes in and literally drives away with his son in the back of his van. And what's lovely is, 
I wish we'd have had a bit more time actually to check when Batman Killing Joke was published because this amusement park is so incredibly killing joke. And recently, thanks to Doomsday Clock and other brilliant recent publications, that park has been named as Bolland Park. After the great artist Brian Bolland yep. who created and penned Killing Joke all those years ago. Yep. I think it's important to show that this is a important part of the Joker's aesthetic, the Joker's uh, fun yard, joyous but still deadly sort of deal. That's always been his thing. And putting it to this sort of abandoned theme park is always something creepy sort of about oh, yeah. it, especially as clowns have moved from fun and happy to creepy. So it's very easy to say that even if this wasn't the intent or anything, this just wasn't what it was called, this could definitely be a Bolland Park or something like it. Yeah, or predecessor to it. And like you said, the creepy. Um, amusement parks as a child to me were always fun, but the way this episode's directed um, by Frank Power, especially the scenes where young Jordan's running through the amusement park, being chased by the Joker, and he's running and every corner he turns, everything he sees, every bit of movement, every shadow is like creepy and dangerous. And the way Joker's just menacingly walking, pacing behind him not running after him and chasing him it's fantastically well done it's almost more thriller stroke horror movie than again a saturday morning kids animated show it makes sense for the joker to have that kind of pace and that kind of attitude going around a place that he knows mm. that he probably lives in illegally subletting because it's an abandoned part of the city that no one cares about he knows every corner he knows how each of the rides works He's had enough time to be able to go into one of those places and set up a giant supercomputer inside a clown face. So he, <laughs> so he knows that place very well. So he can very easily catch up to a scared little boy running between parks, between halls and mirrors into a roller coaster so that he can catch up to him and make sure that he has this mayor who dares compare him to Batman right here under his control. It was really interesting, actually. The... The thing that pissed Joker off the most, that annoyed him the most, was the insinuation that him and Batman were similar. Yes. Absolutely. That's what I was thinking too. Their visually, and in terms of their whole demeanour as well as we know it, is that they are not similar. One is a good darkness, but one's a bad light. Yeah. If that's something you can sort of agree with. Totally. There's also the knowing that, sure, we can't expect Batman to work honourably and clearly, but then again, that adds to his success and adds to the ability for him to be able to swoop in, take down two bad guys and swoop out again, whereas the Joker demands attention of the Gotham police, the Gotham press, and the people there at a young boy's birthday party. They are opposites in the way you wouldn't expect a hero and a villain to be but they're still opposites and still make for great conflict another thing I found really interesting was when the Joker finds out that the, the little boy stowed away because he starts out angry he starts out unsure yes. of what to do and then becomes joyous when he starts to consider the possibilities but that also just shows the chaos of the Joker he doesn't really think things through he never has, he never really would he just sort of sees a macabre, unfair, evil opportunity and decides to go along with it. Only when the boy starts to realise that he's not in a safe place as things get more and more sinister. I think there's a really telling line as well, though, when Joker 
puts his arm around Jordan and says, well, you know what? I was thinking about a protege and is that a really clever foreshadowing and pointing towards him taking a certain Dr. Harleen Quinzel under his wing and making her his, his protege? Is that some clever foreshadowing or is that him just playing the part until um, he gets tired of the boy and does away with him the way he only he can? I think both sound pretty logical. I think it's not something he was expecting to find Harley Quinn, but if we cast our minds back to the earliest episodes of this show, we see Batman rolling with a protege of his own kind. Yes. So he wants maybe his own dark, twisted funhouse mirror version, hoping to turn this little illusionist boy into a darker, young Joker. But, of course, we don't quite see that happen, and that's the best. And I love what you said, actually, that Batman is uh, a good darkness and joker is a bad light but at the end of the day that they do have their similarities as well so maybe yeah joker does want a protege and let's let's be honest both these characters are products of that famous one bad day and they just went left and right at that junction what do you think i am crazy you'll turn the light off when i'm halfway across there you go absolutely and while we may not be able to definitely point to the amusement park being Bolland Park what we can definitely see is another tribute to one of the all-time great Batman stories in Frank Miller's uh, Dark Knight Returns with the whole roller coaster scene and the exploding babies and that was something I'd completely forgotten about and it was brilliant to see it on this episode. It's another great use of the Joker's fun house of danger aesthetic. It's something that we should learn to love and be amused by, especially when we're younger about the age of this boy, but instead we see it as something twisted and something to be feared, something that threatens our own life and we should be scared as the Joker puts these kinds of traps on us. It's... Another thing that just adds to the whole strength of the character. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you think, of course, to the writers and the directors of this show that, again, clearly they're showing a love of and knowledge of the comic books that inspired this series? They are respecting the greatest versions of these characters. Yeah. Which I think is essential for telling a Batman versus Joker story. You need to know exactly when they were at their best and the perceived twilight of Batman's years would be a good place for it to show that the Joker still relies on these tricks in his early days, in Batman's early days, to the end in when Frank Miller was able to best put him to paper. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all in all, I again, I've yet to come across an episode I even sort of kind of liked. Again, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. Uh, Frank Power seems to be... Um, quite a versatile director because Underdwellers was way darker than this one but this still has the right elements of the perfect contrast actually when Batman's on screen and when he isn't and the humorous touches and the way the episode again is paced and built and the music I can't fault it it's just so well put together it's well put together because we get the deeper themes that we would explore yeah. in like deeper cinema or intense television right there from the beginning in 20 minutes of quote-unquote children's TV. I think for you, speaking as 
what's something we didn't really touch on when we reviewed them to dwellers is the thing that this episode and a lot that one had in common and the thing that i think that hits you personally the most is the fact that there is a an innocent and a child yes. there in the middle someone who really should not be there but nevertheless is and we get to see them rise above it because ultimately that's the clearest way to show that goodness and the heroics of batman can prevail really glad you brought that up because again the fantastic acting um from kevin conroy because his voice actually breaks a little when he sees jordan in the amusement park when he arrives as batman that the concern from batman jordan it's just brilliantly done i mean you don't see his face you don't see his eyes which is an actor's greatest tools but the way conroy uses his voice is phenomenal yeah, it really puts back the term voice acting yeah. because they have to put so much emotion and pathos and realism into the way that they can deliver a word, a name. It makes the whole scene and the whole episode feel more real because we feel Batman's anguish. And just there trying to pull an innocent who should not be there out of this horrible situation, away from this horrible person. And it's why whoever asked me the question who's the greatest Batman of all, I will always answer with the words Kevin Conroy. No doubt in my mind. With the great look that the art team has ever been able to put onto this entire show, it would not be the same if it were another voice, I think. Yep. We get the intensity and the anger and the drive and the confidence in behind that voice, but we know that there's still a human person under there. Mm -hmm. A lot of portrayals of Batman just show him as this figure of fear. Which is which he still is in this yeah, show. Absolutely. But a very humanized figure of fear, which is not a version that we really see a lot. But Or enough of. There are a lot of versions of Batman out there that we don't really see a lot or enough of, but that's why I cherish the show so highly, because yeah. we get to see Batman in all versions and they are still true to his roots as the Tortured Avenger. Or the yeah. de detective on the rooftops. And fans of Kevin Conroy, um, anyone out there listening who may not know, he is finally appearing as Batman in live action in the upcoming Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover on the CW. And he is playing, as far as we can tell, due to the armour he's wearing, the Kingdom Come alternate future Batman alongside Brandon Routh's alternate future Kingdom Come Superman, which has got me excited as heck. So Kevin Conroy fans who've been waiting to see him as a live action Batman are finally going to get their wishes. It's something I think everyone's been looking forward to more than they realise. I didn't quite realise that it was actually official. It's going to be really exciting. It's happening. We've got pictures from the set now. So, yeah, look out for that story coming up in over, uh, Dark Knight News over the next couple of days. We've got some pictures of Kevin Conroy in his uh, aged Batman armour. So, um, again, let's have a talk about things that stood out in the episode, highs or lows or, or a mixture of both. There are almost never any lows in yeah. any episode of this show, which is something I am still surprised by the, the height of the consistency of it. Yes. But a single moment that I think everyone that has traversed the internet for more than 10 minutes... <laughs> I know what's coming. You pointed it out to me, and I'm so happy to see it. It was right as the episode ended. Silent, wordlessly, little boy looks at Batman, Batman looks back, and they trade thumbs up. And anyone that's been on a... On an internet chat room or a like group <sighs> chat has used thumbs up dot gif. Yes, I said gif with a hard G. Find me on the internet. 
the Batman dot gif of them trading thumbs up is so iconic that even oh, the people are honest, even the people are honest trailers that reviewed the this show for an honest trailer was able to credit as a huge moment in this series. It's something accidentally iconic, I want to say. Absolutely, and then it's everywhere. That thumbs up gif is probably arguably the most used thumbs up gif on all of the internet and now we know exactly where it came from and amazing thing that it's in the first 10 episodes yeah yeah how many more are we going to see because i've already seen again the the thoughtful batman from a few episodes back which is used yeah Yeah. it's 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 everywhere this series has permeated popular culture in a way that I think only the comic books themselves have managed to do. More than any of the uh, many brilliant action uh, live-action films, but this series is... It's popular culture. It really is. I think it's popular culture because, in the same way as the comics are so heavily ingrained in popular culture, because that's the truest version of Batman is the original source material, this is the truest version of Batman, but it's still somehow so condensed that anyone can oh, re- God, pick yeah. it up as opposed to like a fairly heavy graphic novel tome-like document that you'd get on some DC Comics editor's shelf that I'm staring <laughs> at right now. Okay, yeah, I can't argue with that. But it's a great collection that I will look great, take great care of one But day. even so, my collection's only interrupted for just under 40 years. Um, getting the other 40 years, the first 40 years, it'll be a mean feat. But anyone with access to the internet in the US and the DC Universe um, app and streaming service, or anyone who can uh, go to Amazon or any uh, good video retailer can pick up this entire series containing virtually every aspect of Batman, take it home and watch it episode by episode the way we have, and then come back to us and talk to us about it. And again, thanks for all the brilliant comments for everybody. It's lovely talking to fans of this show and um, long may it continue, but yeah, this is a, a, a aspect of Batman that anyone can grab and have complete in their hands, and a complete version of Batman in their hands. Unlike yeah. some of the TV shows and movies that have focused on certain elements, this is Batman in all forms, true to himself, but different episode to episode. And I don't think anything could do it quite as well, which is why it's still so strong. We get all of Batman all the time in this series. All of Batman all the time. You've come out with some great lines tonight, son. I'm very yes. quotable. It's true. Marvellous. Love it. Well, um, that's it for episode nine and be a clown. And um, yeah, another terrific episode. And next week's will be a bumper episode. We're going to do, uh, we're going to watch them individually. And we're going to review them individually, but then we're going to have a little break and do them both because next week sees finally Harvey Dent himself become the notorious Two-Face. So look out for a double episode next time. So from now, uh, this has been the I Am The Night podcast with Adam Ray. He is the night. We are the night. And Adam, um, what does everyone out there need to do more of? Read more comics. And watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. Take care. Bye now.